Salam guys. Um, this is Ahmed. Welcome to another episode of Corona Diaries. I'm with Hussein. Salam Hussein. Welcome, Salam. How are you keeping, bro? Yeah, good, man. Good, good. We just did a great episode with Sayed Shabir Kirmani from the United States of America. Really smart guy. Um, what do you think of the podcast, Hussein? So, yeah, it was... It was he's a guy who seems to have his foot in a lot of different uh, areas he seems to be well read in not only you know islam but also business and maybe philosophy community. and and, and community and stuff like yeah. that so he was naming a lot of authors and stuff that <laughs> sort of flew <laughs> over my head but definitely <laughs> worth worth looking into maybe and getting a different perspective on on all these issues that we sort of face in life um and getting a more world round view i guess so yeah, yeah it was it was Highly interesting engaging yeah he's a really Definitely. obviously a really engaging speaker um he spoke a lot in london in in the us and obviously in different places around the world um but yeah give us a give us uh, your your thoughts your feedback uh, obviously we are looking to try and bring on more guest speakers onto the podcast so any suggestions you might have um give us a shout uh, and keep supporting general feedback on the podcast how you how you found it we've, we've been doing podcasts now for over a year had tens and tens of thousands of listeners which is always amazing um, but we want to keep improving we're in a critical time where digital content is really important um, so now is the time for us to really work on um, the value of our podcasts uh, and of Hujet podcast generally so yeah but I'm not going to keep boring you <laughs> I mean Hussein had a great chat with Sage Shabir and we don't want to hold you back from that. So here is our episode with Sage Shabir Kirmani. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum listeners, brothers and sisters from around the world. Welcome to another Hujat podcast episode of Corona Diaries. Um, so far we've talked in the last two episodes a lot about our reaction to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, how ourselves and, and our day-to-day lives are responding and, and how we look to move forward. But we were thinking about maybe bringing guest speakers on board, people who perhaps have more expertise in certain areas and would maybe be able to add slightly more value than perhaps we ourselves would be able to. So we're very lucky, Hossein and I, to be joined on this episode with Sayed Shabir Kirmani from Orlando in the US. Assalamu alaikum, Sayed Shabir. Wa alaikum assalam. Hope you guys are doing well. Excited to be um, on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's good to have you on. How, how's everything going from uh, on your side and how's everyone keeping? Doing okay. Thank you for asking. So yeah, we're form we're following all the norms, the uh, social distancing, all the policies that have been put in place to the best of our ability uh, on an individual and family level and on a community level. You know, um, we're still keeping in touch with our community. Alhamdulillah, generally we've been okay, but we have everyone in our thoughts and our prayers. Um, you know, and throughout the U.S. and throughout Florida, uh, just making sure that we're weathering the storm and we're being precautious. But Alhamdulillah, so far so good. We've been okay. Alhamdulillah, the U.S. is absolutely crazy right now I, mean, I was speaking to a friend in new york today and in new york alone there are more cases and more deaths compared to the whole of the uk um and there's a mixed response isn't there about kind of how the government are responding generally 
Absolutely, absolutely. And there are certain places that are um, are impacted uh, relatively more just because they're epicenters, right? Like New York City is definitely one of them. There's no doubt about that. And I was scheduled to be in, in Seattle last week. And uh, Seattle's also become an epicenter of the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, and so it's, it's impacted travels. It's impacted the communities. I'm in touch with the community there on the ground as well. And unfortunately, they're, um, you know, they're, uh, it's a tough time, but they're trying to weather the storm. You know, our mm-hmm. communities are subsets of the greater community. So we're trying yes. to help as much as possible uh, throughout that process. I know my friends in New York City as well as, you know, a lot of, uh, I've been in contact with a lot of people in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's only about an hour and a half from the city, from New York. Yeah. You know, uh, they've had overflow, you know, from, from, from the city because there are challenges there, you know. And uh, we're just keeping everyone in our thoughts and our prayers right now. And if you know the way pandemics, there's a, a really good book by Sonia Shah that actually called pandemic it's become very famous now because it's talked about this phenomenon a few years ago um because people who are in this vein knew that this was going to happen or it was eminent something to this extent sars one could have been it you know covid19 which we which is in the medical community many people call sars2 uh, because it's that closely related um they were expecting something like this to happen and um, a lot of those people have realized that when you have cities, the magnitude of viruses spreading can actually be, you know, exponential in its true sense, and they can spread a lot faster. Um, and so we do have to keep those places in mind, you know, places like New York, uh, Tokyo, London, places like this uh, yeah. can be hit really hard and are being hit really hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so um, you're, you are famous, of course, for Lamla producing a lot of good content for communities around the world, um, both in kind of the spiritual side of life but also the professional side um getting involved with business and startups and that sort of thing for anyone who's regardless of which pocket of society they fall within what what message would you have to people about keeping faith and and really why or if we should have any faith in times like these absolutely absolutely um faith is extremely powerful in terms of helping people whether turbulence whether uh, you know tragedy at large there's two elements of human society that are timeless. Uh, one is humor and one is tragedy, which is related to also difficulty, right? Um, you can go back to the the ancient times with the Greeks and, and whatnot. These are elements of human beings' lives, whether you're someone of faith or not. Um, and um, if you look at, for example, the works of, uh, of Will Durant uh, and his wife, Ariel Durant, their research and their look at history, they realized that if there's one truth about the respect of religion and humanity is that when times are tough, when times are hard, religiosity increases. People turn to faith. People turn to God. Uh, even people who may not have faith. You know, I'd like to bring to our, the audience's attention people like Emil Durkheim. You know, sociologists and philosophers like Emil Durkheim, uh, like uh, like Kierkegaard. Even uh, some people, some of these, like for example, Durkheim. He was not even a he was not even a believer. He was an uh, at least an agnostic, if not an atheist. But he's even believed that. Um, religion can have very, very powerful, positive impacts on people's lives. He was noticing that in the turn of the uh, 19th century into the 20th century, religiosity was declining. And he was saying that we need religion now more than any any other time uh, in history uh, because we're losing institutions, we're losing faith, and that's not going to have a positive impact. It's very interesting to see that how the atheists of today, for example, differ from uh, the philosophers who are atheistically tilting 
just a hundred years ago, um, they said that they didn't blanket statement religion as a negative, you know, a la Dar Dawkins and some other people. Uh, they were like saying that religion is actually a force for tremendous good. And it's really what gives people uh, hope and the strength to persevere in times of difficulty. People who are Christians, Jews, Hindus, uh, Muslims, all around the world, they turn to faith. And, and faith is a very, very powerful uh, influencing factor in actually getting through difficult times. That's a very good point, uh, Sayed. Um, so I think it's 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 one of those things that, especially within our communities here in London, I don't know what it's like uh, for you in America. Um, I think uh, especially the community where we're from, so Stanmore have done a lot of work to try and keep that community feeling um, going. So by holding, you know, online uh, lectures still, um, holding online sort of talks with speakers and things like that, such as yourself, recording podcasts and having live gestion programs. So to try and maintain that sort of community feeling. And I think that's something that, uh, if you look into uh, psychology and things like that, that isolation or being away from people is a cause of cause of stress, cause of depression, and especially in a time like this where people are even more closed off from others, it can possibly lead to a rise in depression. But if you still have a community base, that can sometimes help um, you maintain, you know, sanity basically. So are there things that are in particular in, in America or where you're, you're currently at that the centers are doing or anything on the same sort of um, wavelength? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on some very important points here. Yes, we've adapted to the model of, you know, going online, streaming, things of this nature for our programming as well. But the greater a point that you've alluded to is extremely important. I'll give the example of the United States. Loneliness in the United States in the past 50 years has doubled. That's a 100% increase. It's a double-fold increase in the last 50 years. People are more lonely. Um, also, um, and you know, I've spent an extensive amount of time in, in the UK uh, in the past several years, you know, extended trips several months on end. And what I've realized is, you know, if you look at the history of Europe and, uh, and uh, England is part of that, right? you realize that there are certain elements that have happened. For example, soci sociologists look at Europe and they find that it's a lot more atheistic than, for example, America. America is the most religious developed country in the Western Hemisphere. And despite that, people are feeling lonely, number one. And on despite that, people are feeling a sense of um, uh, religiosity in the sense of community. They need community. I say this because loneliness is doubled in America it may have doubled in England, maybe even more. Uh, maybe, maybe it's more than double. I mean, in America, I'll give you an example. It's pretty common to walk down the street and see a complete stranger and say hello and hi to them. Uh, that's not very common in Europe. It's definitely not common <laughs> that in England. That does not happen that. here. That I'm married to an American, and when I, when I went to visit her family for the first time and uh, mm -hmm. like, spent some time in the U.S., it was so, so weird when, you, when yeah. you'd be greeted by strangers. And when she came here and she now lives here, it's the total, she's not used to it. Everyone, everyone being a bit grumpy. <laughs> that's, that's right. So, so uh, uh, Emma can attest to this as well. So I have a witness. But I mean, in the defense of England, the further up north you go or the more countryside you go, I get people are nicer there and more, uh, you know, friendly in some oh, sense. Yeah. That's uh, definitely so that's, correct. Yeah. And, and, and then also on another note, uh, in New York, it's, it's very different than the south of America, right? People in New York can be pretty tough, <laughs> you know, they can't be bothered a lot of times either. So city, cities does that to people a lot of times. 
you know, so in, in defense. But getting back to the point of loneliness, community is extremely important for us as human beings. We have a need to feel like, uh, this goes back to tribes, you know, uh, centuries ago. People had a try a need to be a part of something, a part of a community, a part of a tribe. We are social uh, by nature, and so it's very important to keep that going through, uh, you know, technology and other elements that needs to continue. So people don't feel lonely, they don't feel isolated, so they don't feel like they have uh, that th they have no help, no support, things of this nature. And this is perhaps true now more than ever. People are. You know, people have relatives. I mean, you know, they talk about six degrees of separation, right? Everyone's connected on the planet with within six degrees of separation. Now, I think all of us probably know someone in our circle who is being affected by this virus, right? Either, uh, you know, a cousin or uncle or brother, or if not direct relation, maybe someone in our community. Uh, someone, you know, someone is being impacted, you know? And, uh, and we need to be mindful and cautious and very, very reach out to people, you know? I, this is what I'm telling people, you know, Call up family, call up friends, call up pe people you haven't talked to in a while. See if everything is going okay, uh, and and try to keep a pulse. So you don't want to get get isolated. You want to get depressed. You want to get anxious. You don't want to have those things uh, impacting your life uh, more than they have to. Uh, that's an uh, that's that's I think sort of ties in well with what I was trying to trying to get from you, and um, I think it's it's difficult sometimes to. Um, in a normal sense, like you were talking about, like w depending on where you're from in the world, social norm is not to knock on every neighbor's door and ask them how you're doing. Whereas uh, maybe now um, communities are more willing to speak to their neighbors, maybe even speak to neighbors or leave a note at least for neighbors that they've probably never spoken to before this. Uh, I know it's something that within my neighborhood has, has happened. And um, it's nice to know that Sometimes in the worst of times, the best of people come out. And um, I think that goes to go, goes to show that, you know, goes back to your point where you were talking about when times are bad, religiosity and, and things go up. So maybe in the same vein, uh, things like um, social care or, 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 or thinking about other people's needs also increases during that time. Um so, yeah, I mean, what, what are your sort of thoughts about that? Is there any research that backs that sort of point of view or anything like that? Yeah, um, I, I think you've hit on some really good points there. So there's a lot of data that actually shows that proportionally uh, people who are not well as wealthy or not as affluent are actually more giving than people who are. You know, that may sound surprising. Like, let's say two two people. One individual is a multimillionaire or billionaire, and another one is, for example, someone who's, you know, struggling to make ends meet. They both give $1,000 in charity. Well, who gave more money? Well, in gross terms, they both gave the same amount. But proportionally speaking, one gave more than the other. And so the research shows that a lot of times people who are more empathetic and have more empathy are more likely to give. And a lot of times, you know, that's, uh, this, this comes from research from a lot of institutions. Harvard is one of them that comes to mind. Dr. Dan Gilbert's work, Dr. Daniel Kahneman, and others come to mind. But the point being, sometimes you need a jolt to help you realize and make some things happen. I'll give you an example. I was listening to NPR, which is National Public Radio in the U.S. one day on my uh, on one of my commutes. And what came on the radio was uh, a couple, a husband and wife, who were extremely affluent. They were very wealthy from the New York City area. And they had a child that was born with Down syndrome. Now, I'll, I'll draw this attention to the, for the audience and see how this analogy may have played, played to us. 
They were extremely affluent and they had a child that was born of Down syndrome. Now, the interviewer asked them, could I ask you a question? It's a tough question. He said, if you were to have this child again, now it's been 18, 20 years since you had the child, would you go back and have this child again? It's a tough question. It takes courage to ask that question, uh, let alone hear it. So the parents give a very interesting response. They said, if it was for the child, from the child's perspective, we would not have this child again because it's very difficult for, for him, for our son. We don't want him to suffer. But if, it, if you ask from our perspective, we would have this child again 100 times over. And he said, why? Why a different answer for your child and why a different answer for you? He said, for, for the child, we don't want him to suffer. Very clear. But for us, we believe this child with Down syndrome has made us softer hearted people. Mm. We would use our money on yachts and cars and houses that we probably didn't need. They said that we used our money instead to build institutions for poor middle class and lower income families who have Down syndrome children to have facilities that can actually cater to the needs of their children. We wouldn't have done that had we not had a child like this ourselves. Sometimes turbulence, sometimes difficulty, sometimes adversity actually can become a catalyst for us to become softer hearted, warmer hearted and more caring individuals. You know, to your point about the neighbors really quickly, in Islam, in our belief system, or at least in our faith, the concept of a neighbor, I mention this all the time in my lectures in, in interfaith and intrafaith, it's 40 houses, east, west, north, south. It's not left and right, you know. And in fact, we're told that if we go to sleep, with food satiated, having eaten, and they, mm. any of our neighbors, 40 houses uh, in either way, you know, uh, north, south, east, west, right? 160 people, houses. We're liable on the day of judgment. So the point being, we have to care for others. We have to really introspect and say, what resources do we have that perhaps others don't have? And how can we make the world a better place through that? So that's an amazing point. Absolutely amazing. I think it reminds us, of course, that mentality is key in times like these and when we imagine um, a lot of the trials and tribulations that people before us went through and even if you I, I was reading an article yes i'm sure a lot of us in the last couple of months have become aware a lot more at least of the spanish flu which happened 100 years ago where i think 33 or 30 or so million people died around the world you think subhanallah like you know, Allah tests and, and, and gives gives trials to people of different different ages. And you know, thank God things are not worse. And we should, of course, be grateful of that. We still have the ability to appreciate many of the bounties which Allah has given us. And also the bounties which have come our way since the pandemic has started, which perhaps even beforehand we wouldn't have had. Um, the value of time itself. We know Allah says, well, And just reflecting upon that, we know that time is so critically valuable. In today's day and age, there's, you know, there's something they say about London, particularly, which is that in London, you don't have time to breathe. Um, you know, you start your day, you wake up, you go to work, you come back. And before you know, it, your day's done. Um, when we talk about time in particular, time in, and being a resource or a commodity, which is so valuable, something we always wish we, we have more of. And now that we've overnight got so much more of it, how do we best make use of time nowadays? How does one plan their 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 you know their day-to-day -day lives to be the most productive they can be absolutely i think um this is one element that you've kind of alluded to is some of the world's billionaires and multi-billionaires like even they like when warren buffett was asked about this he's like the one thing that i can't with all the money like he said with all the money i have and all the things i can literally buy anything i want on the planet according to warren buffett so the one thing i cannot buy is time 
and we're all equal and even in that department uh, all human beings you know we don't uh, we don't have uh, we can't buy more time time is time you know you can exercise you can do some of those things to extend life at some level but your time is your time and this goes back to again ancient philosophers like seneca on the short list of life and many others islamic foundations that you alluded to there's numerous traditions you know in fact if you look at the teachings of Bayt, there's numerous traditions that say you know he's not one of us i mean he or she is not one of us who does not take account of their time, who doesn't manage their time well. And um, this is something that uh, even Seneca came to the conclusion that it's not that life is so short necessarily, it's that we waste a lot of it. We don't utilize it to the best of its ability. Mm-hmm. We could probably achieve all of our goals if we wanted to. But the thing is, we don't end up using, using our time to the best of our abilities. Uh, and, uh, you know, we binge watch on Netflix and whatnot uh, to, yeah. to, you know, get through the times. Um, if you have your favorite show on there, I'm not there to, to, to criticize you. And there's probably some it's really true. good documentaries on there, too. So <laughs> definitely check those out. Um, but uh, but um, the point being... You can achieve all your things if you manage your time well. So one way to do this, a practical suggestion, is to actually use a calendar. And I don't necessarily mean, although, by the way, there's some very successful people who go around with a physical calendar. And I, I know this. Like, you know, uh, and I'm thinking of, for example, people like um, uh, Sarah Blakely's husband, you know, the, for the sisters who are listening, right? They multi, uh, you know, they own the Atlanta Hawks in the United States and stuff. This guy literally travels with a huge calendar and he marks it off and he, and he like uh, lists stuff on it. But you can use your phone, right? You can use apps uh, and schedule things in. Maybe tell your your device that, hey, schedule this into the calendar. If something's not on your schedule, believe it or not, and I talked to a lot of people about this, it most probably won't get done. And this actually includes family time and personal matters as well. I mean, a lot of people tell me they don't have time for family. Well, is it on your schedule? Is it on your calendar? No. Well, that means it's just not that important. Now, obviously, I'm being exaggerating in this, but that's really the element of it. If something's important enough, enough, we make time for it and we schedule it or we need to, especially in modern worlds, in the modern world we live in, places like London and New York and the United States and the world all at large. The world's become a, a global village. I mean, I was in India not too long ago and people were telling me we don't have time here either. Uh, this is everywhere. This is a phenomenon that's global. And But what I'm, what I'm suggesting is if you schedule out the time, you know, some of the people who got the most done in life had these schedules, uh, you know, and, and they wrote books. They got a lot more done than you and I, uh, you know, many of us get done. And that that is understanding the importance of time, number one, and number two, scheduling things out. I think that's a, the key point. And, and again, alluding to, to what you were saying and linking that to Islam. Um, and I know we, as Muslims, we know that anything that we are looking for in this world is is all within you know the religion that was passed to us uh, by prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his holy progeny um and i think there's a hadith that comes to mind uh, i can't remember which imam it is specifically but they um where it talks about splitting your day up into specific sections where you cover you know family being one work being one uh, another being you know your social time um, your spiritual time and, and, and so on and so forth. So they've also talked to us about how to manage your time and, and how to, to incorporate that. But I think it's funny that you said that, you know, we don't really schedule in, you know, meeting the family or spending family time together, even on a normal basis, forget with, uh, with everything that's going on. So I think that's a key point that remembering that if it's important to you, schedule it in, make sure it's part of your diary. That way you, you you're accountable for it 
Um, sometimes we, we become very accountable for maybe work uh, and social events with friends, but we don't become very accountable with family. And that's what then leads to that sort of separation or distancing from knowing what's going on in your, within our own families. Um, so I think that's a key thing, scheduling everything that we feel is important and incorporating that in, into our daily routine. And I think that will definitely help. Going on from that point, I wanted to 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 bring up an, a, another uh, another uh, point. I'm I'm aware that you're also part of um, you know various businesses, and I know you brought up some business leaders um, of the world uh, while you were talking. Uh, you're part of various businesses around the world. Um, could you talk maybe a little bit about that and how you're involved, and maybe how your involvement is being affected, obviously with what's happening with COVID-19 and how maybe businesses are changing or need to change in order to survive in this new new age that we're going to be in post-COVID-19. Uh, if if I can just jump in as well, something which is, is, is really, uh, I think, pertinent today generally is, I mean, for business owners, a lot of the, the members in the community either own a business or are employed by, by a small to medium-sized business or even a large corporation. What advice would you give people who are involved in the world of business, who are who are responsible, have some sort of corporate responsibility upon their shoulders, uh, especially when it comes to psychologically, um, uh, you know, planning their finance, having the mindset that things are going to be okay, and things like that. Absolutely, great points across the board. So first, the element of time. I'll address that, and then I'll jump into the business aspect because they're all related, right? A business person has to be able to manage their time well. So one element of that is uh, the schedule. I just gave a lecture on uh, the the life of uh, Imam Sajjad Laisan, Imam Zainal Abidin, and I was looking at his life post Karbala. It's very interesting to see his schedule. He had a very set schedule, and that was uh, particularly after Fajr Salat, after after the the prayer, he would meet with the muhaddithin, the people. Or experts in hadith every single day he would explain to them what's what are the authentic traditions of the ahl bayt of rasulullah he would meet with the muhaddithin after that uh, he would do this up to zohar time after zohar after praying zohar he would recite the quran and the munajat his personal personal duas with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do that till asr time and after asr he would give his dars that is his class on the tafsir of the quran and people would come and gather from all over to listen and learn from that and then he would continue that up to Maghrib Salat time. And after Maghrib, he would open his fast. He would actually fast throughout the year. And the only time people knew that he wasn't fasting is when he told them, I'm not fasting today. Except for the, you know, the days in which we're not allowed to uh, fast, such as Eid and, and the likes. And then he'd do that. And then after Isha Salat, of course, after the time of Isha Salat, he would meet with his very close companions. He had designated uh, his time to meet with his close ones and tell them the secrets of, the, of, of, of Islam and, and all of those elements that the Ahl Bayt taught to the closest companions. And then he would do that, take some rest, and then wake up for Salat al uh, and then and then till Fajr. So the point about you know you're referring to that the Holy Prophet, as you mentioned, that split your awake day into thirds. The Imams actually practice this; they actually uh, categorize it accordingly. The same thing for if you look at business leaders across the globe, they're very particular about their daily schedule. Not just business leaders; people who are are writers. If you look at, for example, some of the greatest writers in history, uh, Ernest Hemingway, for example, had a very he. Produced amazing books, but he had a schedule. Every single day, he would wake up and go to his typewriter and 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 sit there and and type. Uh, he didn't necessarily always publish everything, but he made sure that he followed the practice of being there. 
I do spend a lot of time with a lot of business uh, circles. I try to incubate entrepreneurship and the circles that I've been in, you know, people are impacted. There's no doubt about this. You know, this is unprecedented. Uh, this is, I mean, the nearest thing that we'd have to see in this even in a lot of our lifetimes, but it would be going back to World War II. You know, that era, in terms of the economic impact, this has been a very, very, you know, a moment in time that is unprecedented. And uh, it will take a lot of resilience to get through it. But inshallah, we will get through it. The point and lessons for leaders, business leaders in particular, and leaders at large, is to be able to uh, adapt to, to turbulent times, adapt to difficult times. You know, leadership is really tested in adversity. R leadership is really tested in the difficult time times. And many times after that is when people get to greatness. But being adaptive. Also, you know, Mark Cuban, for example, is someone who comes to mind who said that, you know, the brands right now, uh, how they treat their employees will dictate how they are perceived by the public for the next decades, next few decades. Right. People are going to say, how were how did they treat their employees in the difficult times? So we live in a world that the social dynamics of why you do what you do is a lot more important than what you actually sell. And this goes back to what's been codified by Samin Sinek. But many people before him have realized as well that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. You know, people. And this is what there's a great talk. If you're ever interested uh, for anyone in the business domain, uh, it's by Steve Jobs. It's called. Marketing is about values. You can check it out online. And he says yeah. it took him 20 years to realize that it's not about what product you're selling and all the technical features. It's about the values that you espouse as a corporation that people buy. So they, they espouse creative genius. You know, Nike espouses excellence, you know, champion. Mm. And so for here, like how you treat people matters in our world today. And for businesses, the thing that I would say is be flexible, adaptive. Um, how can you adapt to this model, number two? And how can you do the right thing? I think those are very important lessons that are timeless. Timeless lessons they are. Thank you so much, um, Sayyid Shabir, generally for sharing your feedback and, um, of course, giving a lot of your valuable tips and your insight and experience that you've learned across the many years. Um, I think for me personally, the biggest takeaway point, there are a couple actually. Um, the main thing which I, I, I think is is maybe most valuable to me is about like you said being adaptive being able to to go with the tide um, and, and make sure that we stay afloat at the same time and if we use the test that Allah has given us at the moment perhaps there's a silver lining to it and inshallah we'll see it as a blessing um, as time moves forth are there any final comments messages uh, or any remarks you might have for, for hundreds of people listening around the globe yeah, absolutely. That uh, number one, we will weather the storm. This comes from the, the, the research of Will and Ariel Durant in The Lessons of History. This is one of the favorite books of many, many uh, people who are very public, such as Ray Dalio, for example, number one hedge fund manager uh, in the world. He, him and others have said that this book is amazing. And he, uh, Will Durant uh, says that the history of humanity can be subbed up in man is resilient. We as a human nature, as a humankind, as a species have gone through plagues and wars and we do continue. That doesn't mean that it's a it's a good thing, it's not necessarily pretty, um, but we do have to follow all the precautions, we have to listen to all the advice of social distancing and the like, not take that lightly, so implement that, but don't fear overtly, don't fear too much. It's not as good, It's not. it can be crippling. So make sure that you're positive, you have hope for the future, follow all the guidance, and look, leadership is tested in these times. 
we need to make sure that we try to make the world a better place after, when we come out of this. Can we make the world a more equitable place, a more egalitarian place, a la John Rawls and the Veil of Ignorance? Do we want a world that is more fair uh, for society or unfair? I think we need a more fair world, as John Rawls and others say. And as Islam says, we should have, give everyone a fair opportunity to life. And that's on us. So thanks a lot, Sashibu. Hope to see you in London. Hopefully you can grace us with your presence at Stamford. Yeah, I'm scheduled to be in London, but let's see how that goes. Um, Hopefully this gets tackled. (laughs) For sure, definitely. Thank you so much um, for tuning in, uh, brothers and sisters. And uh, definitely reach out to us if you've got any feedbacks, comments, suggestions. Always happy to be in touch and um, stay safe. Thank you so much. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.